You're listening to How Yoshi Did It Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi and Lilith Arvani. This is Yoshi. I am uh, recording another podcast episode in Seattle, Washington, back in uh, my hometown. And um, I'm here with somebody that is very important to me, not just for comedy, but um, he's been like, um, he always treated me like um, like my surrogate father. So I'm really happy that he's here. I don't know if you want to hear that, but um, I'm here with uh, Carl Warmenhoven. Carl Hartback, yes. But can you say it the way Dutch people say it? Varmahova. Okay, I'm way off. Um, <laughs> um, I can't emphasize enough, if, if you don't know the comedy in Seattle or Pacific Northwest, I think Carl is the most important person. He is an institution. He used to run and work at Comedy Underground. And for any comedians from Northwest, whether it's Mitch Hedberg and Ty Barnett, um, Brody Stevens, and countless others that have gone through here, he was a very important instrumental help in our careers, and um, I mean, I can't say emphasize enough. He was kind to everyone who was interested in stand-up comedy, and um, not everyone. Well, I uh, 99.9%. Carl, I have to say, there's. I don't want to mention the guy's name, but I, you know, he was not a very likable guy, and he was not very good at it. But even him, you were saying like. Everyone should be given an equal opportunity, and you were very kind to everyone. And uh, I have to say, I told this to Berlan Brown, another comedian friend of mine. I don't think that even Jesus would have been kind to some of those comedians, and you were always been kind to them, Carl. You know, I never let Jesus on stage. <laughs> I said, "You got three minutes." So, Carl, thanks, <clears throat> thanks for doing this. This, this, this means a lot. And um, recently, at um, the club formerly known as Giggles, you know, we had Tanner Manu and Brody Stevens. Um, comedian that started up in Washington. They were filming stuff for Comedy Central, uh, produced by Zach Galifianakis, and we were so happy that you showed up. And uh, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it was so important for us to um, have you. And we'll talk more about uh, why Carl was so important. But um, I think the audience get to know you more. So Carl, you were telling me you were you're Dutch, obviously. Last name is uh, Dutch. So it doesn't mean I could have just picked that up. I could have bought. Sure. It could be a stage name. Yes. <laughs> But you, you were born in Netherlands, and yeah. and you were telling me, oh, well, first of all, why did your parents decide to get out of uh, Netherlands and move to States? After the war, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, <coughs> stuff in the Netherlands. Holland. I like to call it Holland. Because I'm actually from Holland. Uh, there's North and South Holland, those two provinces. So take your pick. I'm from one of well, Holland is basically one of the provinces, correct? Two of the provinces. Well, there's North yeah. Holland and South mm -hmm. Holland. Anyway, after the war, uh, I think the Dutch were eager to have people leave who want to leave. Um, there wasn't much left in the country. I had relatives over here already, lots of aunts and uncles, and so we were on a list. I think it took maybe two, three years before um, we were allowed in. There were quota systems, mm -hmm. and... Uh, and then we moved to New York, and then... But, but you were telling me how, oh. how you got to New York to... <clears throat> yeah, we were on a boat on uh, the New Amsterdam, and we left from Rotterdam, Holland America Line, and arrived in Hoboken, 
actually uh, not Manhattan and not long ago I, I returned to a uh, Holland America ship which is now headquartered in um, Seattle not Rotterdam Holland America is headquartered is that right yeah anyway it was a oh. little a little mm -hmm. overnight cruise and uh, it was the first time I'd been on uh, Holland America ship since 1952 it was fun and Elliot Max was a comic on board. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, very funny. Uh, I think he won multiple Seattle comedy competitions. Once under the name Gary Larson, his real name, and once under Elliot Max. Yeah. yeah. And I guess I guess he changed his name because there's a cartoonist named Gary Larson who was... I uh, believe he got a check once uh, written out to Gary Larson, the cartoonist of the far side. Yes. <laughs> and uh, they lived kind of in the same part of Seattle, I think around Ballard. Is that right? Yeah. Did he yeah. cash it? No, I think Gary came and picked it up from the other Gary's house. Anyway, um, so he changed it so there wouldn't be any confusion. Because yeah. everybody said, oh, see the cartoonist? No. No. Well, great. So he changed his name, and um, his son is a big-time comic now. Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. Um, I like them, and I uh, hope nothing but the best for them. But going back to you, oh. do you remember that tr trip at all on the boat? <clears throat> uh all I remember is waking up, or my parents waking me up, maybe four in the morning or something, and looking out the porthole, and there was the Statue of Liberty. Oh, wow. That was very cool. That's this is very Godfather-esque. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I heard the music playing, and <coughs> horse head floating in yeah. the river. Um, no, I remember that. I've never been to the Statue of Liberty, but I remember seeing it. Mm -hmm. i got to go back and do that sometime. So you guys lived in um, on Long Island for a little bit Long Island yes yes I learned my English from our neighbors who spoke very whatever it is they speak in yes. New York <clears throat> and when I uh, when we moved about a year and a half later to the West Coast I had to relearn my English oh. learn things like there's no R at the end of the word idea mm -hmm. you know, idea idea it's like incomplete right Anyway, so yeah, I would. Uh, they sent me to school without knowing any English. I can still speak some Dutch, and I understand quite a bit of it if it's spoken slowly. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me, and uh, I have to uh, clear my throat because I speak Dutch now and then, and that's hot. Yeah. Gracht. Of course, there's a big difference between Dutch and German, but it just sounds to me German would be more easier for me to learn because that sound that the Dutch yeah. people make. <clears throat> and don't mention the war. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess during the war they would use passwords, the Dutch, um, like Scheveschoenen naar school in Scheveningen, which means crooked shoes to school in Scheveningen. <clears throat> I have to swallow a fishbone again. Um, <laughs> but the Germans would say Scheveschoenen naar school instead of ch. It's the k. So you could literally use the language to figure out who's who. Uh, they yeah. would try, yeah. yeah. Also, what's interesting in the Dutch language and maybe other cultures, <clears throat> um, people would be born, raised, remarry, raise another family in the same village, generation mm -hmm. after generation. And you could tell uh, with my parents who was from what village. And they were like five miles apart by how they spoke Dutch. Is that right? Yeah. <clears throat> Isn't there supposed to be an off button whenever I clear my no. throat? No. We'd like to keep everything in there. So, well, I mean, 
did you ever talk to your parents? Was was this a difficult decision for them? Because you know, one of the things I I live in Los Angeles right now, and people are anti-immigration, especially anti-Mexican. Sometimes they don't understand that how difficult it is to leave your country to another country. They're not doing to aggravate Americans. They're there because they're desperate. So, uh, was it was a difficult decision for them? Because, well, the difficult part was to leave some family behind. My grandmother. They waited for my grandmother to die mm -hmm. before they moved uh, here because she had already lost uh, one son in the war and then some other sons and daughters had moved to the United States already. Yeah. Actually, my grandmother was the oldest person to fly transatlantic in 1947. Um, wow. With my parents over here to visit her children. <clears throat> and she, uh, I remember her as well. And she was diabetic, but used to drink Dutch gin with sugar in it, <laughs> and then stir it with the uh, ear of her glasses. And anyway, did they, did, uh, they, did they talk a lot about World War Two to you, or? Uh, <coughs> yes, there are lots of interesting stories. Um, the Germans would bring along their own prostitutes sometimes, and uh, or there would be. What are, they, what are they? What are they trying to say about Dutch women, Carl? Well. <coughs> Well, first of all, what, too expensive. Yes. What did you, where, where did you live in? in, in okay, the Holland province, but is, is there a specific... Sussenheim. Thing? You know where the flowers are? Kirkenhof? Yes. The big flower garden? Just a few miles from there. I see. Right in the middle, there's Sussenheim, Lissa, Hillehom. It's called the Bullestake. That's uh, the flower-growing region. When you see pictures of tulip fields, that's yeah. my neighborhood. It's a beautiful country, and uh, people are very nice. Yeah. So the Germans brought prostitutes and... Um, well, this is one story I used to hear from my parents and they would knock on the door and my mother would say, no, no, you want next door. <laughs> <laughs> so they're literally brothels right next to you? No, the, the woman who would entertain the German troops uh, lived next door. I see. Um, it was the last year of the war was the worst where they would um, burn just about anything Mm -hmm. For heat, and um, and cats were sold as rabbits. Um, my parents grew tobacco in their backyard, and uh, dried it in their attic, and then used pages of the Bible for cigarette paper. Mm -hmm. So, what a friend we have in Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> and then he would take that and um, at night go and trade it with farmers some tobacco for some potatoes here, and some tobacco and potatoes for grain over there. And um, it, yeah, it was quite, quite something. And one time, I remember he told me of they were out at night on a canal boat, mm -hmm. and there were some other guys down below, <clears throat> and there was something called a razia. That's where the Germans would come in and take all the men between eighteen and forty, and send them to the factories in uh, in Germany. Right. And uh, they were calling my father over, who was. Uh, they had these long poles that you push these uh, barges through the canals with, and it was calling motors, and he had guys underneath and all kinds of black market stuff, and mm -hmm. he said, no, no, I can't come over. Yeah, come over. Come. No, I'm delivering this to some German troops uh, up the way, and they believed him, yeah. but the guys who were underneath the uh, the cover on the barge yeah. were so nervous. One of them shit his pants yeah. and it smelled so bad that the other ones could barely breathe. Yeah. <laughs> and my father had to keep a straight face and... Anyway, that's, there are spooky stories like that. 
Did, did they have um, Jewish friends or people? Uh, yes. Yeah. Did they help them um, get out of there? Or? Um, my mother uh, hid a rabbi for a while mm -hmm. without telling my father. <laughs> Wait, say that again? <clears throat> she, would, she was hiding a rabbi right. for a little, who's passing through and, uh, and rabbi's vestments. If you're caught doing that, then you're as bad off as the Jews were yeah. taken away. Um, yeah, they, uh, and also after the war, my mom tried to be very fair because the Dutch were not too thrilled with the Germans when mm -hmm. they were around, even the ones living in the country beforehand. Yeah. Um, that after I was born, the my godmother, uh, or the stand-in for my American uh, uh, relatives who were supposed to be my godparents, was yeah. a German lady. So my, my mo it was my mom's friend, and she yeah. made sure that everybody knew that this godmother of mine was German, and yeah. it's okay. Uh, just don't mention the war. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... The Dutch are still not too crazy about the Germans. No, I, I, I sense <coughs> whenever I go, I like Mar, northern part of um, Amsterdam, maybe 45, 50 minutes north of it, and I became friends. I go, I like Mar so much, a couple times a year, like sometimes they get confused me for someone lived there. So it was, it's kind of nice to go places like they recognize you and uh, they're very, very kind and they're very nice, but I have to say, whenever Germans are staying in the area, they, 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 they do what they have, they have to say, they don't have a feelings about them. Yeah. The uh, I don't strong know, feelings. Yeah, still. I don't know how many years ago, but there was a, a match, a soccer match between. Uh, I was going to say that that the, the, <coughs> the game between Dutch and Germany is a huge thing for the Dutch. Well, they were going over to Germany to support the Dutch team, mm -hmm. some some Dutch uh, fans, and what they had done was, you know, orange is the Dutch color. Sure. They had bought some Nazi helmets, mm -hmm. I think plastic kid ones and sprayed them all orange mm -hmm. and so there they were in the stands with uh, orange Nazi helmets in yes. Germany just and they another reminder is that you leave the bunkers up in the dunes along the North Sea yeah uh, just to remind the German tourists who come there and uh, everybody stays in a bed and breakfast along the yeah. seashore there they're happy to see the Germans and their money <laughs> but uh, oh look look what your parents left here yeah <laughs> That's all right. I work quite a bit in Florida, and I, I, one of the ironic things I see is a lot of the um, Jewish people from New York City and places like will retire down in Florida. And I remember in the mid uh, 2000s, you have many rich Europeans moving to Florida, particularly Germans. And uh, it's so odd to see one beach house owned by Jews, the one next to it is German, another one's Jew. You know what I mean? It was just like, wow, how interesting, you know, that. Um, Life is far yeah. of irony. When I was back in Holland in 1964, I was visiting friends in Germany with my mother, and mm -hmm. it was by Frankfurt, where there was a big American base, but then there's also, there was a convoy of German soldiers going by, and I think, holy shit. We <laughs> done it again. Spooky. <laughs> oh, my. That was interesting. Anyway, I, I kid the Germans. Yes. <laughs> So, from New York, uh, eventually you, your whole family decided to move to Washington State? Yeah, I had other family here, and more uncles that lived out here. Oh, so, the original uh, family, why did they move to this area? Uh, you uh, flower bulbs. I, oh, really? Uh, yeah, one, a couple of them moved over here and uh, started a, 
bulb growing business. Another uh -huh. one was a um, salesman for uh -huh. Dutch bulbs. Um, and yeah, and most of them moved over here before the war. And the youngest one, the one I'm named after, the youngest uncle, came here in '36, I believe. The war broke out in Holland, and my grandmother and uh, other aunts and uncles thought, oh, how lucky the Carl's in the United States and is not in the middle of all this. Little did they know that he joined the American army. They sent him over uh, to Europe, and he was killed by the, uh, by the Germans. Are you kidding me? Do, yeah. you, do you know which battle or which... Um, um, I'm not sure. I think it might have been in North Africa somewhere. Against Rommel. Could be, yeah. I've seen letters from North Africa, but I don't know. It could. There's also stories that it was in Italy. It's those damned Italians. Wait yes. a minute, forget the Germans. <laughs> so he, he was drafted or he volunteered? No, he volunteered. Oh, Jesus. Um, and that made him an instant citizen, too, I believe. I see. Well, he should. Yeah. I'd say. And he could smoke and drink. <laughs> Do you remember him at all? No, he died during the war. I was born right after the oh, war. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, so you, so you, you, your family decided to move to Washington State, and then did your parents work in the same business, or uh, um, my father and mother worked for an uncle of mine uh, in the ball business for a while, and then they bought a little house, and my uh, mother continued to work in the flower ball business and my father was a city maintenance man mm -hmm. in the little town of Sumner. So did he, did he speak Dutch to each other? Or yes, but okay. they wanted me to speak English to them so they could learn English. Oh, I see. Also, they didn't speak English. No, we were all Dutch, remember Yoshi? We no, 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 just, uh, oh, yeah. I, I take it for granted because when I go to Holland, it's unusual that I meet someone that doesn't speak English now. I think that's relatively new. I see. Um, television in Holland used to be all subtitled, American shows, mostly American shows subtitled, yeah. not dubbed. So you hear the language and then you could read what it means. Right. And I think they start perhaps in second grade already learning English. Yeah. When you're surrounded by so many languages like Holland is and nobody wants to learn Dutch, mm -hmm. uh, you have to use some sort of a common uh, form of communication and English I, I think worked worked best. No, they probably knew a few words, but uh, they went to night school and learned English, and then I think that's how I lost my Dutch, because I, they never made me speak it anymore. Mm -hmm. But they spoke it so I could hear it. I'm sorry I lost it. Yeah. I can still get by with it a little bit, but I, I think I have a pretty thick accent if I'm trying to speak Dutch. I see. They think I'm German. <laughs> um... So you grew up in Washington, Seattle area. You, you went to school and on. How did that transition to comedy happen? Were your parents are funny people? <clears throat> I don't know if they were funny people. No, it. Um, when I was in high school, I um, I was in a lot of school politics. I was like the student body president and things like that. And then I got to go to the. Is that why? Yes. <laughs> So you made speech and you ran the... Yeah, but, um, and I used to watch Steve Allen on TV a lot, and right. so I would throw in stupid little jokes when I'd have to present something at a uh, an assembly, or every week I'd have to go give a report to the local Rotary meeting about what was happening in the high school. But By the way, for those of you who are not living in states or under 30, Steve Allen was a very influential comedian and, and late-night yeah. talk show. Yeah, he started uh, the late-night talk show. Uh, and uh, he was prior to... Uh, 
There, wasn't there another one before Johnny Carson? Jack Parr. That's it. Yeah. So they're significantly big influence on uh, comedians. Yeah. yeah. What was it about him they liked it so much? I think his uh, the way he played with the language. Mm -hmm. And there was silliness involved. There were sketches, a lot of great characters. Uh, like The Daily Show has different, uh, you know, reporters now, different yeah. characters. Steve Allen had uh, a lot of different uh, characters and, and people who went on to do other things, like Don Knotts started on there, uh, Gabe Dell, uh, Tom Poston, uh, uh, Louis Nye. Nobody will know any of these names unless you're a big Steve Allen fan, but they yeah. all had distinct Well, Don Knotts, I think a lot of people, yeah. uh, at least in North America. Andy Griffith, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so when I would go to the Rotary meeting um, and do a little report. I'd have, I'd start out with a joke. Yeah, well, it's good. The uh, principal of the school, Mr. McCoy, uh, was kind of a scary, very strict sort of person, but I'd always lay into him a couple of jabs mm -hmm. and uh, very lighthearted, but, and then he'd start coming back next time with some jabs toward me and it became sort of a running gag. Yeah. And I would do that at assemblies as well. And I think the students appreciated the uh, uh, principal more if he could take a joke like yeah. that. And, as long uh, as it's not malicious, right? No. Yeah, yeah there'd be stuff like uh, if we'd have some singing group coming and I'd say, uh, you know, Mr. McCoy uh, always mentioned to me how badly he'd always wanted to sing. And I assured him that's exactly how he sings. <laughs> Stupid <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, th and then moving from there, um, college, I didn't do much, uh, Where did you go? At all. You don't? University of Washington, yeah. But afterwards, um, a friend of mine from high school, he and I would make cassette tapes of, uh, sort of radio dramas, but more radio comedy things. Yeah. He, uh, he was a, a DJ for a while and had all this good recording equipment. And so we would start doing humorous things like that. And then another friend who was a big fan of The Honeymooners, an old TV show with Jackie Gleason, he and I would write little sketches using The Honeymooners characters, and then we would perform them in the basement of this house and invite people over. Got to like 50 people crammed into this little basement just to watch our sketches and, and then listen to... The, the little cassette the comedies we did and from there what was the response like? oh they loved it they would bring friends that yeah. I, I didn't know half the people who came to these parties um, but it was an audience mm -hmm. uh, there weren't any comedy clubs that I was aware of at that time until I think it was the spring of 1979 there was an article in the local newspaper about an open mic at a bar about a half a mile from here it's called the Brooklyn Bridge it was right on Aurora and I went there and watched it was Sunday nights, and it wasn't just a uh, musical open mic, it was comedy. Mm -hmm. And one of my best friends, Andy Stamaton, the one who I'm off to visit uh, now in L.A., was emceeing that. And that's where I met Lee McKay and Elliot Max, uh, Gary oh, Larson okay. at that time, um, Laura Crocker. Yeah. Um, we all kind of got together there and uh, got... <coughs> thought, this is great, we've got to open up some more venues for stand-up comedy. Right. It was a biker bar, I believe, at one time, and things thrown at the stage. Um, we didn't have a 
a microphone for a while. And the stage was like three, four feet above the rest of the floor. Gotcha. But it was fun. Um, what? What? Well, I think every comedian goes through it. But what was it like first couple of times when you did it, and they got a huge response? It's, I didn't even know how to explain to someone who's never done it. It's just incredible feelings, and and the fact that it's strangers laughing at you. Because yeah. when we we'd written some of these little bits mm-hmm. um, for the party, but you know, it's your friends and family. Yeah. And here it was strangers, and they found it funny as well. And thinking, hey, it's like being on TV in a way. Yeah. And it is. It's addictive because some of the comics there got together, and we found some other venues that would give us uh, maybe a happy hour and a microphone and yeah. we'll do a free show and then we moved over to another part of Greenwood to the G-Note it was called and had Sunday night open mic there and we started the Seattle Independent Comedy Co-op the SICC SICK mm-hmm. SICK Comedians <laughs> which is now Seattle International Comedy Competition they use, use the same uh, initials and it just grew from there and um then Wayne Cody, yeah, it was Wayne Cody, a local sports guy, he's now dead, opened up, he was a big comedy fan as well, he was big, yeah. and a comedy fan, opened up a place called the Meat Market, which was uh, eventually torn down and uh, the King Dome was built on the site of where that was. And he actually Meat Market paid, sounds like a gay bar. <laughs> <laughs> now you tell me, yeah. oh, no wonder I hear yeah. That's not where the microphone goes. <laughs> um, he actually was paying people. Yeah. So I took some of my bits there and uh, you get like 25 bucks yeah. sometimes. I met Jan Barrett there. She. This is... All these names in like Seattle Institution. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Um, that was 79. And Lee McKay, one of the uh, original people from the G-Note and the Brooklyn Bridge was in contact with John Fox, someone he had met in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. The San Francisco International Comedy Competition had uh, started up a couple of years before that, I think late 70s, and, uh, and got us hooked up with doing the Seattle version of yeah. an international comedy competition. And I and uh, Laura Crocker and Michelle Beaudry were involved in uh, coordinating the first few. Yeah. and. After that was going for a year or two, then John, again through a connection with Lee McKay, uh, hooked up with Jim Swanson and Swanies in Pioneer Square, where the originals, that was the original site of the Comedy Underground. Um, and which, it just grew which, from there. Which, which is an institution. I mean, I really missed the place. and um, The old place, yeah. Yeah, I really miss it. It's, I don't know if this is a good analogy, but you know how the last 10 years or so the Make, keep making these new Godzilla movies. Yeah, it's a better CGI, better acting, and one and up. But it doesn't have to quaint of uh, the original Godzilla, which is basically you have this je- little Japanese guy in a Godzilla outfit. But I, I really miss the quaint part of it because yeah. Swanee was upstairs to Comedy Underground, and um, I know uh, whenever the baseball team are in town, because all the pretty girls will be there waiting for the baseball players. That's upstairs. right. Yeah. Downstairs, the comedy club, and it, yeah, it's smaller, maybe even smell a little bit here and there. But um, it was, it was a, gritty, it, had it was a, gritty, yeah. It was a wonderful place, I really, really missed it. That was my favorite place in the whole world for comedy. A lot of people say that. That uh, actually, not too many years ago, um, 
after we moved to the new location. Well, what, so they, they moved because of cold violation? No. Uh, it w the building was being retrofitted uh, for earthquake safety. I see. Uh, so they had to move out. Um, well, and the floor was sinking. Do you remember the floor was sinking right yeah. in front of the desk? Yes, literally. <laughs> Might have been an underground river there or something. Um, yeah, it had the building had to be uh, retrofitted, and so we had to get out. Mm -hmm. um, but while after we had moved, and while there was still construction going on in, in the old building, um, Jerry Seinfeld came into town and wanted to stop in at the underground. That mm -hmm. was one of the places where he got his first standing ovation or first yeah. signing gig or something like that. And again. You know, he loved that old location, but all the workers there didn't know where we had moved, and so he was going to stop in and, and uh, give his regards, but he just went through some empty shell of a, a building. How did, well, how did you hear this story? Uh, from, um, I think it was from one of the workers, finally, or somebody who was working with Jerry, who was in town, mm -hmm. I believe, filming a commercial. I see. So... He, um, I've seen him in Comedy Cellar before, which is the, the best club in New York City, and um, he's incredible. I mean, I don't know the guy. He's very nice, very gracious. Very gracious, and he's incredibly, I mean, I don't think people give him enough credit. He's incredibly smart, sharp guy. Yeah. I mean, incredibly sharp, and he does not tolerate my, my understanding through my friends or a friend with him. Uh, just morons, you know? So... That's why one of the reasons I didn't, I didn't want to go and say hello because I'll probably say something that might annoy him. But yeah, just the way even he dressed, the way he prepared for his material, and each jokes, there's no fat to it. And um, yeah, he's he's just a scientist, an artist when it comes to comedy. Yeah, he works on the exact wording of. The, I I worked with him at the Underground. I worked with him at Giggles. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I worked with him in Spokane. He was headlining. Uh, one of the night of finals for the Spokane International Comedy Competition. He did the competition? No, he didn't. He, oh. he was the headliner. He was hired. They filled him in. Um, and I had to go pick him up at the airport because I'm the only, I was the only one who would recognize him. I see. Nobody Strange. Knew him. Yeah, at that time, because he, he was just a club comic, and I'd worked with him in Seattle two or three times at different clubs. So <clears throat> I went to pick him up at the airport. And uh, then we went out for dinner. He was already talking about ideas for a show he had. I see. And it, it didn't. He didn't say a show about nothing, really. But um, it sort of had that element to it that uh, he was just building it in his head now. And did, he was a very nice guy. I liked did, him. Did, did you know how great he was but even back then, or uh, were you surprised <coughs> how successful you can? Well, I knew he was very, very funny and smooth and uh, professional, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> I, yeah, I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't think it would be uh, he would be like the most famous comedian, uh, mm -hmm. the richest comedian as yeah. well. But and I think this was <clears throat> early on when sitcoms on TV were looking for stand-ups. Yeah. be in their sitcoms you know and then it became standard like drew carey and mm -hmm. ryan styles and um i don't know the list goes on but 
I'm not going on with it because I can't remember any. Kings of Queens and Kruvi Enthusiasm and the, um, yeah, all, they're, 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 all those are former comedi stand-up comedians, sure. Yeah, and now like Louis C.K., man, mm -hmm. he's funny. I really like him. He also worked the underground. They've all been through there at one time or another. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so you worked with Louis too. What was that like? Louis C.K.? Yeah. That was a while back. That was at the old club. What I remember about him, again, very nice, very generous. Uh, after the show, one time in the little alley next to the club, he, I don't know if he needed something and uh, or offered me a ride. Can, it, he just seemed so open. Mm -hmm. He was already, I think, pretty well known in New York. Not big time like now, but uh, just very gracious. You remember those people more than the assholes. Yeah. You know. uh, somebody else who I remember, and uh, somebody you know, who worked um, just as a middle act is uh, Chelsea. Heller. Yeah. She was very, very nice, very gracious. And I think she'd already had some TV exposure in Girls Behaving Badly. I think I'd helped on some of their filming in Seattle. Oh, you did? I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but she was, I remember there were a couple of other girls who were sort of, well, you know, we're, we're the big stars of the show, blah, blah, blah. She was very humble, just made a very nice positive impression. And when she was just there as a middle act, I think she might have been promoting a book or something I at that time. But she didn't have her own TV show or anything. Uh, both uh, Jan, my partner Jan, who was doing seating at that time, remembers her uh, as being an extremely nice person. Um, it, it seems like there's connection. Like um, I think when you're commuting, you should be a little bit more self-aware, and you're dealing with business of imperfection and making fun of those things. So you would think you don't get big-headed and, you know, just remember what you do for a living, you know. Telling jokes are wonderful, but it's yeah. not saving people's lives. So it's nice to hear when you hear these big names that they're nice people, you know. Of course, there are times we don't have to mention their names, but um, just horrible, you know, just horrible, like the way they treat the staff or... Yeah. I don't understand. And, like, if you hate people so much, why do you do comedy then? That's yeah. right, yeah. Um, there are other comics who... Uh, have a very tough stage persona and are just sweethearts off stage. Mm -hmm. One of them is uh, Michael West Tree. He used to go by the name of Tree. He's like six foot five, dressed in leather. I've seen him. Yeah. Yeah. He's a sweetheart, but he's he can come off as, uh, you know, uh, Raiders, uh, Reagan, Rambo. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it was all in leather. And he said, Yeah, I'm German. I'm good with crowds. <laughs> And then he would stop in the middle of his act and uh, put his sunglasses on top of his bald head, yeah. pull out a lacy fan and go, did you ever have one of those days? It was a capital B-I-T-C-H. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you remember Meshepard well? Yes. There again, what a nice guy. Yes. He came in one Sunday night. It was an open mic. Well, first remember. of all, uh, no. what, what was his, what was the impression that you had about him when you met him first time? Because you, whenever you meet these guys for the first time, you don't know anything about them. Especially Mitch, did he live up in Seattle for a little bit? Yeah, he was here for a while, working on a film, maybe, uh, I thought somebody said it with John Stewart at one time, working on some little project. But yeah, he was in, he lived here for a while. 
And he, uh, and then one Sunday night he came in, he just won some little contest somewhere and bought the entire house around. Mm -hmm. There weren't that many people there, but he just bought everybody a drink. Yeah. Um, there again, what a nice guy, but a sad case to watch in some ways. He would do a couple of shows on a Friday night or Saturday mm -hmm. night. He'd be drinking cocktails beforehand, mm -hmm. and I don't know if he was smoking anything uh, else, but he would drink and drink and then drink while he's on stage. And then the second, and drink between shows, second show, I remember one where he was leaning against the back wall, just trying to stay upright, yeah. and slowly sinking down, and then reaching for his cocktail, and, but his material came out flawlessly. Yes. He knew it so well, and it, good comics always sound like uh, it's, you know, off the top of your head and very spontaneous, but uh, there again, Mitch's humor was so well thought out so well timed and just in the perfect number of words and it was like poetry yeah i didn't know anything about him and I remember the first time i met him was during the comedy competition and uh, right after he went out <laughs> during the competition it was very clear everybody was fighting for the second spot because it was just it was like the first night it was just like um I don't know, it's like sending Einstein 200 years before in the science community and like, <laughs> he was so ahead of time, like we, we had no answer to it. But that's another thing, he was very, very kind. Like, you know, sometimes when people tell you, like, I'm going to be on Tonight Show, I'm going to be on Letterman, it just come across a little boasting, but yeah. he just said, oh, you know, if, you're, if you're free tomorrow night, I'll be on Letterman. He, was, he, he said it in such a sweet way that like, it never came to me like a mean thing, and then he, he was such a sharing guy. There's so many stories about him, like I remember one story, he was doing comedy in Florida and he did have a college gig and uh, after the show he made a bunch of these college kids, maybe football players and whatnot, and they were complaining how hot their room because their AC was broken and the school wasn't fixing it or landlord wasn't fixing it. Next day uh, he could have just went home but there was not a... Hmm. <laughs> That's oh. all beeping out different words you'll yes. be saying. <laughs> it's, they're all anti-Semitic. <laughs> Anti-Semantic. Yes. <laughs> so that was hot? Uh, it was hot and basically uh, that was the end of it. Next day there was a knock on the door and the college students opened the door and there's Mitch with a brand new AC for them, you know. Yeah. I mean, you just hear nothing but stories like about this yeah. Mitch. And I remember the couple of times that I hosted home and like one time even like open for him. Um, it was one of those non-paid gigs. And for those of you done anything but stand up comedy, there's many things you do in stand up in the beginning. You just don't get paid. And it was right after the last show, I just went there to say goodbye to his wife and Mitch. And in the room was piles of cash. And they're kind of, you know, counting the money and making the dollar bills go straight and things like that. He's like, oh, you know, Mitch, thanks for letting me do the show. I really appreciate it. He said, oh, come over. And uh, he gave me a hundred bucks right there. I didn't have to do it. Um, you remember Chaz Ablin? Sure. He was friend with Mitch. Yeah. And he would fly out to uh, see Mitch in New York, and Mitch would always say, can we get five minutes to Chaz? Mm -hmm. And Chaz was a sweetheart of a guy. He was not always the funniest. Yeah. And... Um, Actually, Chaz became a verb. If somebody <laughs> didn't do well on stage, man, I chazzed. Yeah. <laughs> but it was very nice. Uh, and whenever 
uh, Mitch was in town, he would like, he would always ask if Chas could do some time. I thought yeah. it was very generous of him as well. It's, 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 it's and like it, when he bought the house around, yeah. very generous. Yeah. He was very, very generous. And um, um, I mean, I, I, I will tell you that like that's one of the things that you always struck me because I didn't have a problem with Chas, but uh, a lot of comedians had problems with it. They didn't like him. He was not very likable on stage. And you always shocked me. That was like one of the many examples of your kindness to comedians. Like, you thought even Chance deserved to get stage time, the opportunity to get better. And you were always nice to everyone. And um, uh, those stage times, you know, I just, I guess I should have learned earlier on, I should take those stage times very carefully. They're a very important thing that comedians do. Um, well, that's what I wrote in my little notes. Uh, you know, this is precious time. Don't waste it. Yeah. So, and... and you try hard, it may not work, but if you're trying, you're not wasting the time, and it yeah. can only help. More stage time, the better. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people who uh, did not get better, but yeah. <laughs> but still fun. And I, I didn't get to listen closely to everyone because I would be working. So sometimes um, it's a place called Jai Tai on Capitol Hill that has me judge some of their comedy <coughs> competitions now yeah. and then. Which is really nice because I'm I just have to sit there do nothing else not worry about performing or, yeah. or money or anything and I get to listen to these uh, young comics and I am amazed at the talent they all impress me mm -hmm. uh, and ones that I've only heard snippets from in the back of the room at the underground but here I'm paying attention as an audience member yeah. and I'm I'm just uh, floored at the talent that we have here there's probably well, I think Mondays there are 80 people that may sign up for open mic at the Underground now, but well, there's probably a couple of hundred that go through the system here. And and that that kind of shocked me because I went to the Underground first time in a while, a couple of days ago, open mic. I don't recognize any of them except uh, James Hennigan, which is another institution in uh, LA. <laughs> yeah, what a and, great uh, guy. Ken uh, Count <coughs> Hopkins and people like that. And I know these names for 99% of that listeners probably don't know who they are, but uh, you know, for me, it makes me happy to see them because that group in comedy in this area, it's like high school part two, you know. I, we're, we're, it's really nice to see them, you know. Um, and I think they're supportive of each other. I don't know yeah. if it's like in other markets, but in the Seattle market, if somebody gets a break or a gig or something and others will go, cool, right? Yeah. Not, hey, that should have been me. Yeah. But it's very supportive. Or they'll say, here's a bit, uh, it might work better in your act than mine. And uh, there was a lot of that. Yeah. You know? I, I've been down in Atlanta for 10 years. It's, it's a little different because the entertainment center is right by it, yeah. so it's hyper-competitive, but what what's really missing for me in L.A. was, in, at least in Seattle area, because there's not a whole lot of show business stuff, something. I think people really do it because they really love doing it, mm -hmm. and there's a pretty good chunk of people in L.A. they're really not doing it because they really love doing stand-up, you know, and um, I've been kind of strong the last couple of years because uh, the funness wasn't... There in LA, you know, I and mean, I do have close friends, and like I like we enjoy doing comedy. But I'm glad I came up here this week, and I just it kind of reminded me like it can be fun, and, and uh, you could love doing it. But it wasn't the case the last four or five years, I gotta say. Um, it is overwhelming now, though, with the number of people who want to uh, do it. Mm -hmm. I wish there were more open mics. Yeah, 
but I tell people you know, get to as many different kinds of venues as possible. Yeah. Besides just stage time, get it in a variety of places, and that'll help as well. You get different audiences. Some audiences are easy. Yeah. Some you have to work for. Some you have to talk louder than the uh, pool tables being yeah. used around you. It's yeah, it's an adventure, and I I really admire the people who can get up there and do it. Very talented, especially around here. And 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 I I don't know how to explain it if you don't understand it. But Carl, you um, another guy that um, Craig Gass, uh, he's doing extremely well. He, he's yeah, been he's playing a lot and very talented. TV. But we uh, whenever we think about Seattle comedy scene, we always talk about you first. And um, do I owe him money? No. <laughs> We, we, we just so appreciate you, you know, and I think, um, I'm sorry I couldn't make it to the retirement thing that you had, and... Uh, I'll retire again, then. <laughs> it, well, another 30 years. We, uh, I just, I knew <coughs> Berlan is another comedian friend, um, I'm going to interview him hopefully today, but yeah, we were talking, he was just basically thinking how much love everyone had for you there, you know. That's and, very nice. It was um, humbling and embarrassing. Uh, I just think because I've been around so long. <laughs> but you never had an ulterior motive about comedy. I think I, that's one thing we, one of many things we love you about you, that you, you did it because you really loved it and you were so kind to me and like helping me uh, work on material and, because you know, you have National Endowment for Art. They supply um, scholarship and help for different performance arts, but stand-up comedy is not one of them. It's, what, it's considered as art when you're successful by a critic. But there's very few support in a traditional sense of other performance arts. And I think there's no school for it, really. Uh, in the early days in Seattle, mm -hmm. when a uh, magazine or newspaper would do an article on comedy, it would be a humorous play. Mm -hmm. uh, Stand-up was the bastard child. Stand-up uh, stand was not considered a performing art. Um, and I think we had some sort of campaign to uh, to get stand-up recognized. Yeah. I, I remember one time a club was closed down uh, I think it was in Olympia because of language used on stage. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure it's minor compared to these well, days. Yeah. There, is some old, there was some old law on the books that oh, it would incite a riot or fighting or something. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, well, are we talking about James Inman? No. <laughs> Actually but anyway yeah, um, we finally got some respect. Yeah, uh, the incident you're speaking of—it's been on YouTube, where it looks like a woman from the audience is going to run on the stage and attack him or something. Uh, well, punched him, right? Then she punched or tried to punch uh, James and Men in the face. The well, very funny comedian, very gentle Buddhist, but on stage he could be—he he could be drunk brutal. and aggressive, brutal, and fight people. And I remember one like year, hilarious, hilarious. Yeah. I remember one year during comedy competition in. Um, Marine base or uh, naval base, someplace in Washington State, I can't remember where. It was me, Tanner Manu, Brody Stevens, who those two guys are working on the new show on Comedy Central. So we did a comedy show there, and I thought Eamon won. He should have come first, first, first place, but maybe the subject matter was a little bit anti military, so he, he placed like eighth or something out of the 15 or so people there. And next thing you know, he starts saying, you motherfucker, you guys are a bunch of baby killers and stuff like that, right? <laughs> and uh, I hate military and stuff like that. So 
I, I fear for him. So I keep telling the military, I'm sorry, he's drunk, he doesn't know what he's saying, please forgive him. But like that. I think they would have beat the hell out of him. I really did. And I just got him out of there because, you know, once he's drunk and out of control, but when he's sober, he's a Buddhist and he loves everyone in peace, but boy, when he's drunk, yeah, amen. I've seen him snap a few times. When he, he's brilliant and then he snaps and uh, kind of loses it. But the incident that was on YouTube where a woman... Uh, he offended her, or maybe she thought he offended all women. She went for him. I don't think she hit him, mm -hmm. but maybe was ready to take a swing, and somebody uh, may have stopped. Uh, uh, Travis Simmons captured it on video and yeah. posted it, and uh, it I became part. It became part of a documentary called uh, Yes, I, I, Heckler or something like yeah. that. And um, all you see is she's running up and looks like she's ready to punch that guy in the face. But what you don't see is that. After the show, he apologized, and they're having a drink together upstairs. Yeah. So, it was, uh, yeah, it, it was just a little bit out of context there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> just 10, 15 minutes now, you know, uh, we'll, we'll be done. I'm just curious, you know, all the years you've been um, helping people. Is there things that you wish you would have known, like a day when you started working at the Comedy Underground? Like, there must have been things that you learned. I wish I would have kept better track of everybody I've dealt with. I see. Um, I used to write down everyone's name who performed at an open mic. Yeah. The MC and all the I performers remember seeing and, that, the, yeah. and the order that they performed in. And when I did my retirement, uh, when they had a retirement show, I brought those books along. I stopped doing that in 2008 when we moved to the new club. Okay. Um, Rightfully so. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Anyway, so I had all these handwritten pencil of mm. uh, every open mic that uh, I'd run, uh, two volumes of them, and I just put them out there for people to look at. And they're going, look, this is the very first time I was on stage. Yeah. Uh, you January, have I have them somewhere. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, I wish you could scan them someday and maybe even make a book out of it. Yeah, it's not very clear handwriting in some cases. But it, yeah. what's interesting is people can find the first date of their uh, performance and who was hosting yeah. and who else was on the list yeah. with them. Um, so I'm glad I did it at that time. It was sort of labor intensive because I was just writing it out by hand yeah. and just to keep records. Partly to see if, um, when it was starting to get busy, I didn't want to leave somebody out one week and not give them a shot the yeah. next week. So this way I had records of... Uh, it really is a history, that. though. I mean... Yeah. Uh, you see some big names come through that awful mice of that. Sometimes yeah. people show up, right? Like, oh, yeah. Um, what was it during uh, the O.J. Simpson or right after the O.J. Cato. Simpson? Cato. I was there. Floyd J. Phillips was uh, the headliner, and uh, Cato came in with his entourage of yeah. ladies. Yes, <laughs> I remember that. I said, "You look like yes, I am." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. That really was interesting. I made O.J. in 19, summer of 88 when I went to El Camino Community College right after I graduated and he was filming some comedy slash sports thing for HBO 
And one thing I marvel was how big his hands were. Like I said, OJ, I didn't know anything about football. Like but OJ from the commercials, remember that? He was running yeah. through the airport or something for some rental company. And he shook his hand like, Jesus almighty, his hands are massive. Did he ever try stand up? I think he could have killed him. <laughs> hey! <laughs> check hey, please. Oh. Tell hello. <laughs> Yeah, so the, that room, God, I, I can't emphasize enough. I mean, this this podcast just means a lot, a lot to me because I, I um, that room is so important. Oh, here comes your dogs. Um, so you retired. Um, do do you miss it at all? Uh, no, no, <laughs> no. Once in a while, I'll do some of the old material. People have been so nice to me that. Somebody says, can you do a few minutes? And I really dislike performing. I get so nervous beforehand. But yeah. they've been so nice, done so many favors for me that, I'm, okay, I'll dig out some of the golden oldie material. And actually, the new people haven't seen it before. So yeah. it's new to them, um, and perform. But it's really, I start worrying. If they ask me two months in advance, I'm worried for two months. Mm -hmm. For the retirement thing and for the benefit after my stroke yeah I, then I wrote special stuff uh, which was quite fun especially the stroke stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, oh that's always funny Carl yeah well <laughs> they bought a clue yeah. you know I didn't really have a stroke I just wanted a party so. <laughs> then the following year I retired another yeah. party so I thought well what are we going to do for the third time that would have been this past March I thought well I could could be a party for me Getting out of jail or or coming out of the closet. Yes. You know? <laughs> it's very nice. I I like seeing the comics. I miss the comics. I don't miss uh, the business side of it? No. No. That's always the case though. Yeah. I really like the comics. Yeah. Did um you know, there's been a lot of changes in comedy because back in the day, you know, if you're a comedian you go uh, to Nashville with Johnny Carson, and if you do well, that's it. Your, yeah, yeah. your, your career is going up and up, and if you don't do well, and if he doesn't call you at the next step next to him, well, that was it for you. But after Carson left, um, there's so many late night talk shows, it just seems, the comedy scene have changed quite a bit in the last 20 years, you know, like. Cable also. Um, there were not many venues for uh, stand-ups to perform on TV. Yes. And uh, and then they started getting shows like Make Me Laugh. Do you remember yeah. that? There was yeah. a cable show um, where a lot of the comics, especially West Coast comics that I know, uh, got a shot at uh, being funny on TV. Mm -hmm. And I think also with so much comedy, it may have hurt the live shows somewhat. Um, but it's coming back now. I mean, in, in the 80s, it was really popular. The, the old underground would have a, a line around the block, you know, and we're open seven nights a week, so. I could, and I can't imagine, because I never, that was never my impression of underground. I mean, there's nights you have a packed audience, Friday and Saturday, if you have a big enough act, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that was like, but people always tell me, like, 80s, even, even horrible comics were doing extremely well <laughs> performing, you know. Well, yeah, it was, uh, I think we were the only game in town for a while, then the last laugh opened and giggles opened, and then some other ones opened and closed, mm -hmm. but we survived, mm -hmm. and um, 
and there's so much comedy on TV, but also I think that's what brings out young people to try it themselves. They yeah. see stand-ups, and uh, they think, that looks like fun. And we get people who are lawyers, uh, ex-nuns, uh, doctors, cops, all want a, a shot at stand-up. Yeah. It's very, very interesting. And they find out it's not as easy as it looks. Right. It's, um... It's one of those low entry to show business too, because yeah. if you want to be a writer, you could do stand up, learn how to write material, I guess. And um, but I guess that's the problem. LA, LA is full of creative people. I mean, it's incredible. Um, that triangle of San Diego with Comic Con and Los Angeles with the show business and Vegas. Uh, that whole triangle area. I think there's so much creative time. It's, it's, it's incredible. But uh, my, I think my problem for the last four or five years is I didn't see a lot of love for it, you know. And I, I think I kind of forgot it, and it, it became a little bit more chore. I mean, when I was opening for Russell Peters, who's performing this weekend at uh, Paramount, and uh, especially uh, Jim Norton and guys like that, but uh, the guy who was most influential on me is those two guys for sure, Jim Norton, um, Russell Peters, but. Uh, David Tello has been a, just a you know yeah. big influence on him okay. and Mitch Hedberg and uh, Dave is I mean he's incredible wordsmith and uh, he's one of the greatest joke writers of all time um, and he's so kind I think his problem is he just think about other people too much and he should think about more about himself too but he's always been a great friend and a mentor and, and, and uh, oh, I like him a lot I, I, I can't stop watching him because you know most comedians when you watch them after like second and third night you already know the patterns and which jokes, but every time he does a joke, I have to listen carefully because he'll do something different or different punchline. Yeah, it's um, it's a very clever, talented, and one of the greatest stand-up of uh, all time. And have you had a chance to work with him or met him? No, uh, I haven't met him or worked with him. I just uh, I've seen him on television. And I really liked his uh, his stuff. Oh, surprised you! So you never met him? I haven't met. Everyone. Mm. I mean, but you meant like Seinfeld's big, you know. I mean, Louis is not a. I mean, Louis yeah. is like the heavyweight champion comedy right now. It seems like but this was all when they were starting out and before big TV exposure. And stuff. Right. So I wish I had not this along the list of people who've gone through the underground. It's like a who's who of stand-up comedy. These are some of the big names to perform at um, underground. Um, I mean to read some here? Oh, sure. Stephen Wright, um, Ryan Stiles, Doug Stanhope, Kerry Snow. Big names. Jerry Seinfeld, Rob Schneider, Drake Sather, died. Tom Rhodes, Bob Saget, Caroline Ray, uh, Paul Reiser, Paula Poundstone, Greg Proops, Pat Oswalt, Rosie O'Donnell, wow. Bill Nye, Sue Murphy, uh, George Miller, Larry Miller, Dennis Miller, Ralphie May, Mark Maron, Bill Maher, Kathy Ladman, Ka Sam Kennison, Andy Kindler, Louis C.K., Jenny Jones. Remember her? She used to have a mm -hmm. TV show. Denny Johnston, one of the first comics to ever work at the club. Bill Hicks, Mitch Hedberg, Chelsea Handler, Rich Hall, Dr. Gonzo, Todd Glass, Janine Garofalo, Will Durst, Vic Dunlap, Rick Ducamanel and DeGeneres, Lenny Clark, he was a nice guy too, A. Whitney Brown, 
Dana Carvey, um, Arch Barker, Maria Bamford, Dave Attell, Harry Anderson. Remember Harry? Oh, yeah. He used to live up here, too. Uh, Franklin Jai, Kipadata. Let me um, ask a couple questions some of these. Um, what was Sam Kennison like? Actually, he worked one night when I was not there, although I did go see him at, mm -hmm. at Giggles uh, with a friend of mine who'd been following him in L.A. and all that, and Sam um, was not that big of a name yet. Right. But he said, let's go watch Sam at Giggles and count how many people walk out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, Stanhope used to do. Uh, I was marveled by his... He really didn't give a shit. And, uh, yeah. But yeah, we saw about the last 15 minutes and people were... He was walking part of the... part of the house. <laughs> what was his strength? Like performance part or his material? What do you think? I think it was his material. Uh -huh. um, uh, people weren't quite used to uh, what Sam was all about. Once you become famous, people will take it. Oh yeah, look at that. Yeah. But before, when you just go into a little club in a uh, little neighborhood and people are coming in for a regular show, yeah. you know, they're not going to see Bob Hope. No, no. Um, and, and, and you're not used to it. You think the guy's crazy or jerk. You know? That's right, yeah. But I, I'm a fan of Sam Kennison. And, uh, what was Bill Martin like? Um, I worked with Bill Maher actually at the Moore Theater. Uh, oh, really? Dennis Miller was the headliner, Bill Maher was the middle act, and I was the MC. Can't imagine Bill Maher being a middle act, but yeah. Well, he was not well known yet, yeah. but you could tell he was a road comic. He was very funny, um, very smooth. We went out for dinner with he and, uh, he and Dennis Miller, uh, and I went out. Um, but man, he was the professional. Dennis Miller was very, very nervous uh, because he had just done his first year of Saturday Night Live mm -hmm. and didn't have his stand-up feet ready for the stage as much as Bill Maher's, you know, road comic doing it every night. And, yeah. Uh, but he was also f funny. I thought. Um, Were you surprised how conservative he became, Dennis Miller? Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, Dennis Miller was quite nice, and Bill Maher almost. Like he is on TV, kind of, kind of assholey in some ways. I see. Very funny. Yeah. And they're both very nice to uh, comedians. Yeah, very nice to to have dinner with. But you could tell some were a little fuller of themselves than others. What about Rosie O'Donnell? What was she like? That again was, I think, a very brief appearance. A nice. A friend of mine was writing jokes for her. Mm -hmm. um, she called here one time, and when my friend Rick Dukeman was staying with us, and uh, I said, hello. Hi, is Rick there? <laughs> oh, yeah, just a second. And, uh, Rick, watch the news tonight. <laughs> this is when she sang the national anthem and grabbed her crotch. And, oh, really? Yeah. Um, oh, another time, I have to tell you, when my friend Rick Dukeman, a comic, stayed here, Bruce Willis called here. Bruce Mellis? Yeah, another friend of Rick's. Well, how was he friend with him? Oh, they were in some movies together, and uh, I don't know, Rick knows, I, I was at a party at Rick's house with Bruce Willis and Demi and Woody Harrelson, name dropping. Anyway, so Bruce Willis calls here looking for Rick, 
And my son that answers. Mean, that actually makes sense because we didn't have cell phone back then. We didn't have the luxury of uh, calling somebody direct. That's right. So I really yeah, kids. Number. It wasn't like that back hey, then. Anyway, so my son answered the phone. Hello? Uh, hi, who's this? This is Nick. Oh, hi, this is Bruce Willis. Are you getting any pussy, Nick? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm only 12. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm serious. There's Rick Newcomen there. Oh, I like Bruce now. <laughs> Actually, I almost did, but that's really funny. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. What about Pat Oswald? Did you know? Do you remember him? Yes. Um, he'd worked a few times at the club. Do you remember that one time he was working underground and he was doing a joke about Amsterdam? Do you remember that? He was talking about it, because I think... I don't quite remember the jokes, but... That was the first time I heard anything about Amsterdam with marijuana and prostitute. I had no idea. I think he just recently traveled there or something, but uh, I didn't know who he was. He just flew in there to Amsterdam yeah. and boy, my lungs and genitals tired. <laughs> <coughs> um, so you, like did, you have, did you have a chance to talk to him and get to know him a little bit? Um, no, I, mean, I talked to him, of course, uh, because of uh, business. But no. I, I remember uh, liking him as a person. He seemed uh, humble enough, and and uh, he's extremely and when, smart and funny guy. Yeah, and when things started going his way, I was really uh, happy for him. Yeah. What about Paul Reiser? Paul Reiser, I remember as being nice as well. That sometimes I don't remember the acts. Mm -hmm. I, he was Paul Reiser. I think maybe. Do I see something? Uh, maybe I don't know if he dressed up or something. But I. Again, I have no negative thoughts, uh, only positive thoughts. Did about he do that movie with like Diner or something? He was one of the characters in that movie? Uh, am I getting the right guy? Maybe not. I just remember him like, wow, he's a great stand-up and a actually terrific actor. Like, he's a real actor. Yeah. Uh, what about Bob Saget? Worked with ba Bob Saget a lot. Um, again, I... Very funny. He's one of those people, it sounds like a stream of consciousness, but if you're doing seven shows yeah. with him, you see that it's uh, exactly timed, the wording is perfect, and my son has seen him yeah. uh, as well, because I've worked with him in Seattle and in Tacoma at some place called Nifty Nannies at yeah. one time, and uh, my son knew his act as well, and I think my son was a... Uh, at his mother's house one time watching TV and Bob Saget was on there and Nick, my son, was uh, doing the punchlines before Bob got to them. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there was, he, I liked, I liked his, and he's filthy. Yeah. You know, people uh, just remember him from a nice TV show, but yeah, I like, I like Bob. He has a similar thing with Joe Rogan. A lot of people didn't know that they were stand-up comic because they get to know him as a actor or yeah. performance in TV and they're surprised. Know him as the character on TV. Yeah, and then when they meet, when they go see Bob Saget's act, they're just completely shocked. You know, he plays a father to those two twin girls and yeah, I met him a couple of times. He was, uh, couldn't be nicer and a uh, very, very sweet guy. Um, a stand-up, of course, one of the yeah. greatest stand-up of all time. And Yeah, I like Dougie. He's a sweetheart. He's brilliant and yeah. um, I think Ricky Gervais, when he talked about um, uh, American comedians working in the States, he mentioned um, Stan Hawk and Patrice O'Neill as like the, the best in the business working in the UK. 
and uh, Doug is definitely uh, well respected. Of course, he, he I think he mentioned Louis C.K., the best American comic work in UK, then Stan Hope, and maybe Patrice after that, but those are heavy haters right I now. remember when Doug was uh, recording his DVD at the Underground, and uh, they wanted to make it kind of smoky. Yeah. You could smoke in the bars at that time. And so they had smoke machines, and it got so thick, we had to air out the whole club and oh, then really? start over again because you couldn't see. How does he rank? I mean, I know you're his history how does he rank of all time he's got to be up there right I just think um, yeah I think he's uh, one of the purest comics that's just naturally uh, deliver stuff funny or can tell things funny or funnily if it's an adverb I don't know he's and also and his character his character works well mm -hmm. we had to do that too in the in the taping, make sure when we cut, come back that the bottles were always the beer bottles, because mm -hmm. he does this one bit at the end. But I, I, there are some, uh, what's that called, when something is not the same from one scene to another in a movie. Fuck up? Well, it, it could be a fuck up, but you know, sometimes there's one beer bottle, sometimes there's two beer bottles. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, um, I'm sure there's a term for that. Um, yeah, Stanhope, I have a lot of respect for him, and, and he, he's really one of those principal guys. He really believes what he say. He's not just saying it to shock people, and yeah, thought behind his material. And well, that's yeah. what I'm saying. He's just that's pure Doug Stanhope, yeah. the funny guy. Um, you have um, Marshall Winfield. I heard Marshall Winfield was notified. She the one with uh, Night Court. I believe so, yes. And uh, the, the legend I heard was she found out that she got the gig at, when she was working Comedy Underground. I, uh, it, it could be. It, it sounds like it could be familiar. Also, very nice person. Yeah. And it's Aisha Tyler, which always makes me laugh, but I always thought she's too pretty to be a stand-up comic. <laughs> <coughs> Stephen Wright, you, you must work with him. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the, if you don't know stand-up comic, he's the institution in Boston and one of the greatest stand-up comics yeah. of all time. Also, huge influence of Mitch Hepburn. Even Mitch told me that. Yeah. Yeah, because they're both sort of off base. Yeah. yeah. I asked. Um, he also did the voices for Reservoir Dogs for Quentin Tarantino. That's his voice. I asked Stephen Wright. Uh, again, he wasn't known uh, when he worked with us. I, mm -hmm. This is an interesting story. When my friend Rick Dukeman again was uh, here in town, we went to a comedy show and there was a local comic doing some material and he said, I've heard that material before. Yeah. Um, guy named Stephen Wright in Boston. Oh. Um, and so I listened to this comics act um, and I made some notes, and then when Stephen came in, I'd never seen him before, uh, I said, yeah, there's some of that material that I've heard before. <laughs> really, could you write it down? I wrote down like a half a page of yeah. stuff. And um, this local comic found out that uh, Stephen was here. There weren't a lot of clip shows yeah. on TV, so people could go to Boston and say, yeah, I went to visit some family on vacation. I've been doing a lot of writing while I was there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that translates. They went to club and listened to all the comic takers. Yeah, yeah. That, that's we're, very, we're very sensitive about that. 
that's happened from here too. People moving back east and yeah. then presenting Seattle's best jokes. Yes. <laughs> um, where was I on uh, on, uh, it, uh, uh, on Stephen Wright? Uh -huh. um, this person offered, I think, fifty bucks or one hundred and fifty bucks. He's going. That's my act. I'm not selling my act. Yeah. But here, I, I asked him. I said, "No." Are you that way, or do you just write that way? So, I write that way. So he's <laughs> so strange and so funny. And again, lucky enough to do like seven shows. It's when we were open, uh, yeah. doing seven shows with the same act. And you watch it, and it's beautifully timed. It's a, like a theater piece. Yeah, you know, a good comedy act. There's uh, a lot of comic that has that similar style now, but he was the original guy doing yeah. it that way. Well. There are comics, hey, that sounds a lot like Mitch Hedberg, or that's the same style as Stephen Wright. Yeah. There was a young comic at Open Mic uh, who must have been listening a lot to um, Mitch Hedberg uh, CDs because mm -hmm. his inflections were just like Mitch Hedberg's. Not the same material, right? but the pacing, the inflections, <coughs> you could see the influence. It happens with everyone, I believe, uh, because... I remember watching um, Richard Pryor years ago on the Ed Sullivan Show when he was very young. Yeah. First time I saw him, he sounds just like Bill Cosby. And he was. It's interesting uh, with Richard Pryor and George Carlin. Early on, they were pretty clean act, if I remember. Um, yeah. Then, uh, then once they have their, I guess you call it their voice. They changed the uh, style and an act. And, uh, Richard Pryor even said, I'd like to thank Bill Cosby for the influence in getting mm -hmm. me started. Um, because he just, he sounded like him, had mannerisms like Bill Cosby. And then he went to find his own voice, like you say. Yeah. I used to go to Tonight Show all the time because my friends worked there and Bill Cosby was there. And I would just, I, I was, I wish I would have said something to him because I, um, I love his storytelling and that there's very people could tell yeah you know probably only other person could uh, match him is Mark Twain what I read about Mark Twain was incredible speech speaker and amusing stories you know but I wish I could say something because I was a big fan of Bill Cosby showing like I, I just love the guy but I don't know I got in the froze and they could, couldn't say anything but I saw him in college he performed for some function either at the University of Washington or for the University of Washington mm -hmm. somewhere downtown I haven't. I never got a chance to meet him. I did get a chance to meet Steve Allen. Wow, that's another big one. I was waiting in a dessert line with him at the Comedy Awards. <laughs> uh, Mr. Allen, could, could I shake your hand? You're like, well, it'll be 50 cents, of course. <laughs> what a thrill. What was, uh, let me see. Not all of them did I work with because uh, Ron... Um, would have been, or it would have been before our time. Yeah. Well, what about Ellen? I have not, I've not worked with her. Um, and I believe she did a show one time, it was maybe a one night only, and it was all women audience. Right. Um, and I, the stories used to go around that uh, she'd get the best looking girls when you're working the road, you know, comics are always. <laughs> yeah. She, uh, I, I, I mean, it's been 10 years, but I finally saw, um, what was that movie by Pixar, Nemo, Finding Nemo? I haven't seen that. I, I finally saw it yesterday, and I didn't know she was in it. She was hilarious, her voice and inflection in it. I mean, of course, she's always been funny 
uh, comedian, but a comedian. Yeah. But boy, she was good, and I just found out that they're doing a sequel to that movie, 2015. Well, you got grandkids, so you'll be seeing it pretty soon. Yeah, sure. I guess so. Uh, what about Janine Garofalo? Do you remember her? Um, nope, she worked one of the nights I was not there. Uh, very funny comedian and very smart. Um, very savvy in politics. Um, Bill Hicks. Um, a giant. Think, yes. Also, I did not see him at the underground. Mm -hmm. um, who was it? Uh, Dwight Slade grew up with, uh, with Bill Hicks. That's right. I can't remember they used to be from Houston. Yeah. yeah. There's a promo picture where they almost looked like twins of them together. There's a. Did you see the documentary Bill Hicks American? Yes. Man, that was well done. It was amazing. He was a young kid in Houston, and he was already selling out right away because he was saying stuff that wasn't way ahead of their time. Yeah. And like, um, you know, I don't want to pinpoint Texas, but it's not the most open-minded area. Really. Oh, but yeah, I admired Bill. He was, uh, he was very, very brave, and uh, it was very sad when he um, passed away because of cancer. Yeah. Um, well, you know, this is an amazing list of comedians. But uh, before I let you call, Carl, thanks for sharing this list. So, who, who was like, you know, who was your like top three performance, uh, performers you met? Like, wow, that was like incredible. It doesn't have to be three or five or whatever. But that I like, worked with? Or just, just seeing, it doesn't matter, uh, in person. That they'll be like, you were blown away, like this person's just incredible. And uh, Well, the, the one I've seen perform that I, I, I find immensely uh, talented and silly and funny is Jonathan Winters. Yes, who recently passed away. Yeah, recently passed away. It's very sad. Um, great influence. But of the people... What, what was his strength? Improvisation? Yes. And little characters, um, the voices, the sound effects, his little round face. Mm -hmm. It just all worked. It was just wonderful. It, it, it takes you somewhere uh, into silly land and, uh, and you're happy watching him. And mm -hmm. uh, you laugh, you giggle. Yeah, it was amazing. I heard that he's incredibly sharp and quick. I mean, it's not a, you don't want to go through a pissing match with a guy. That's what everyone's telling me. And he would always play it a little bit to the edge mm -hmm. as well. Uh, you know, not dirty, but... Naughty? Naughty. Yes. Um, I think they're, they're like little masturbation references in yeah. bits if you listen closely. And, <laughs> yeah. and he really pushed it, but he was so likable. Yeah. Whether it's uh, Mr. Allen or Johnny Carson, they just loved it so much. They didn't even care, and like I, I, I didn't get it until years later. But when I was like, "Wow!" I've always been shocked. Like some of the things he was saying, he really was pushing it. <laughs> a lot of insinuations. A lot of insinuations. Well, and his character, Marty Frickert, is uh, the basis of Aunt Blabby, the Johnny Carson um, character. Oh, I didn't know that. Actually, uh, another Carson character, the uh, Karnak. Yes. Is. Uh, based on, well, Steve Allen used to do a, a character called The Question Man, mm -hmm. where people would give him answers and he would give the question, which Karnak uh, uh, did yeah. as his character. So, yeah, lots of influence on Carson by those two as well. 
So Jonathan Winter is number one for you. It's just yes. Uh, and I think growing up, another person who made me laugh was Red Skelton. Uh, his name get mentioned a lot. What, what is it about him was so... He also played characters. He was very likable, very uh, sweet, and also played it towards the edge mm -hmm. with certain characters he did. Um, and it was one of the few comics on television in the uh, in the late fifties, early sixties. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Red Skelton. A lot of people, a lot of older people liked him. Um, there wasn't a lot of. Um, regular stand-up on TV. Mm -hmm. I think Mort Saul was... He's uh, more political jokes, if I remember. Yeah. yeah. And Ed Sullivan would uh, highlight some. And then there was Myron Cohen, who did a lot of Jewish humor. Mm -hmm. um, that, sounds guess, that sounds redundant. Yes. Um, Robert Klein. Oh, that, yeah. The old ones. I don't remember, but I... I, I I loved watching comics growing up, and I love watching them now. I miss them. I don't miss the uh, the, business word, the business part. Do you think your grandkids want to do a stand-up event down the road, you think? I hope so. I don't know. One of them is in, uh, my five-year-old grandson goes to uh, Ch Seattle Children's Theater uh, Drama School, mm -hmm. so they do little plays, and he's... He's obsessed with the Nutcracker Ballet. <laughs> Plays that music and uh, wants to dress up as a little soldier and then he dashes around uh, yeah. dancing and... I don't know. My son, on his 21st birthday, uh, with his friend Nato Green, you know Nato Green? He's a comic now as well. I don't like he uh, opens for Durst quite a bit. Oh, well, Durst. Yeah, I like Durst. Yeah. yeah I like him a lot. Anyway, Nato and Nick, my son, on Nick's 21st birthday, went to the underground. It was open mic, and they did a bit about meta comedy and uh, and how I had sent him to comedy camp growing up, yeah. and uh, which was all based on stories he heard. So yeah, you know, we we go to comedy camp one night and then get up the next morning, drive 600 miles to the next comedy camp. <laughs> It's true. Those gigs are just nightmares. Um, well, Carl, um, th thanks for doing this. Are I you know. sure this was a microphone I've been holding yeah. on to? It's so fleshy and warm. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to sit on eBay. Um, but thanks, Carl. I mean, I, I think I might have gotten into comedy for the wrong reasons. I, I, uh, I, I was, it was a really bad place. and. Um, I did it for fun, and I'm glad I met you, because you and all the friends I met over the years, and um, it sounds corny, but it really it really was fun, and um, I, I'm, I'm very grateful you did this, and this trip took a lot of um, negativity away from it. It just, it was really fun going to underground and see those kids being excited about doing bits. I mean, they didn't know who I was, I just kind of stayed, but it really, really was fun. Did they let you in for free? Yeah. Oh, good. I kind of sneaked in. Oh. They probably thought I was a chef or something. <laughs> but I walked in and I forgot what it was to have a good time doing open mic and like working on bed. It's really fun. It's the process of trying to figure out, you're trying to give them, convey some idea, 
and I, you did it in the way that they got and they laugh a, a group of strangers you know I, to me like a, one of the greatest magic of all and it's 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 really fun yeah, and people don't know that uh, they, they don't know that and especially like when people steal jokes how sensitive we are because it's not even just the joke the way we say it the delivery it takes nuance and all the time you worked on it so so for somebody to just take it like that that's why we get upset uh, offended but this is like I don't know, fraternity sorority for um, maybe m not the most popular kids from high school, but um, it was a really, really fun, and I'm glad it came out, and I, uh, I thank you for doing this. Well, so what's your plan? You're 65 now. My plan is to become 66. Yes, <laughs> and I will, I think you will, and you're like a typical Dutch person, you're dressed in orange. That's right, well, I'm... Uh, is that William the Orange? I think he was the... Um, yeah. If I remember, was he the guy who flooded the whole Netherlands because Louis XIV was trying to invade him? Uh, that was uh, when Spain was coming in. I right. Thought. Yeah. Um, they had they had no answer for it, and Dutch always have answers. They're pragmatic, and uh, I really love them about them. Uh, and they have a canal for everything. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's in the porno. <laughs> They do come from, well, anyway, that's another story, but Carl, thanks, um, I really appreciate everything you did for me. I oh, really it's fun. It's always nice seeing you, Yoshi. So. Um, you, um, you, I wasn't doing well, and you, the comedy, and you saved me, so I really appreciate Damn it. <laughs> I, uh, I hope uh, maybe a couple of years I'd like to come and, you know, do another one with you, because uh, I knew you were always the historian. You love comedy, but you're also a historian of comedy, and um, all the stories you're talking about, I, I didn't know any of them. So, uh, How do you know they're true? <laughs> I believe you, Carl. Oh, I could be joking. Carl, do you have a website or anything that you want to promote? Or anything? Uh, no, no. I don't. See, this is your old school. You just like comedy because you like comedy. That's right. And really old school. <laughs> All right, Carl, thanks. Thank you very much. I hope um, everyone gets a chance to come to Seattle West Comedy, and if you see any great comedians, it has a lot to do with Carl's influence. So uh, please come and enjoy the comedians from Seattle. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.